Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Adam Woodward. On the show today, we have an anniversary we couldn't refuse. Yes, Francis Ford Coppola's family favourite, The Godfather, turns 50. Then two new releases, the Swiss teenage care home drama, La Myth, and Roger Michelle's swan song, Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren star in The Duke. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. Very delighted today to be joined by the Don of Little White Lies, David Jenkins. David. So I'm just eating some oranges here. Just just bear with me. <laughs> and Adam, how, how would you describe yourself? A Kappa regime? Probably a bit bigger than that. Conciliary? Conciliary, I would say. I'm not afraid. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like to think of myself as a, a, the conciliary, but, you know, that's, I'll leave that for others to decide. I mean, and the, that leads into the question, are you a wartime conciliary, a business <laughs> uh, conciliary? Oh, stri- strictly business, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. How have you been, Adam? Yeah, pretty good, yeah. Um, been a few weeks, isn't it, since I've been on? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. I've, I've sort of caught up with some, with some fun stuff recently and, uh, yeah, trying to get back into the swing of it a bit more, so, yeah. Oh, it's good to hear from you, though, and a great film to be talking about first up today. But, David, any news from Little White Lies Towers before we kick off? Oh, man, we're, yeah, we're just sort of battening down the hatches on our next issue, just getting all the final bits of design and proofing together. I'm gonna, Straight off this call, I'm going to be jumping back on to my uh, InDesign files and uh, tinkering with text and sending feedback about layouts and st- stuff like that. But it's uh, it feels like a bit of a cracker. And I think, yeah, this next issue, which is going to be sort of going to press um, end of Feb and then out till early March. It's a real, like, I, I mean, I think the, we got some really amazing interviews in there, like lots of really, like, strong interviews, but not necessarily with, like, mega stars, but, like, you know, a very big mix of kind of big and bigger and sort of smaller p- people who are, you know, just saying lots and lots of interesting things. Um, yeah, didn't you tweet a tease the other day? Was it the Verhoeven interview? Yeah, yeah. There's a really fun interview with Verhoeven where um, the uh, interviewee Justine Smith is kind of like he, Verhoeven is a kind of guy, as you can imagine by his films. You know, he'll he'll answer any question, you know, and he'll he'll answer it sort of seriously and fully. And she's not taking the, you know, she's not like you know taking advantage of that, but she does. She, her sort of line of questioning kind of goes off the beaten track a, a bit and it's not necessarily just asking him, you know, it's, it's for his new film, Benedetta, which is kind of lesbian romp, les- lesbian non-exploitation romps, I should say. And yeah, she kind of takes him off the path a bit, talking about other filmmakers and she just gets a really, really 
fun, fascinating stories from him about that. And yeah, he's just very kind of frank and curt and a director who very much knows his mind, which is, which is quite refreshing. I can't wait to read it. So when can we expect more info? Oh, uh, yeah, we'll probably be launching it in maybe like two, two, two weeks mm-hmm. of podcasts. So, yeah, keep, keep, keep your ears to the ground. We'll sit tight for now. But this week, we've got a, a different episode from the usual. We've turned the podcast on its head. We're starting with what normally would be a film club pick, but because it's the 50th anniversary of the release of Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, it's also having some cinema screenings as well. We're going to start off with that, go large on one of those big epics of New Hollywood. So we should crack on, shouldn't we, with our first film of the week, The Godfather. I mean, what can we say about The Godfather that hasn't already been said? Marlon Brando as Don Vito Corleone, Al Pacino as Michael Corleone, the war hero son coming back from serving in the Second World War and his sort of rise into the family while the patriarch of Vito falls. Adam, I'll come to you first on The Godfather. I mean, there's so much we can talk about, about the story around The Godfather, its legacy, how it changed Hollywood, how it kicked off so many careers. Francis Ford Coppola being one of them, really shot into the stratosphere, or the actors as well. But where would you like to start? Was this, of course, you've rewatched it for this podcast. What was your first experience of The Godfather? Oh, crikey. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I suspect, like everyone else, it was it was a sort of fairly early, um, you know, watch at the point at which I was I was kind of really starting to get into cinema more seriously. I think it is just, you know, so sort of monolithic on the on the kind of you know skyline of of, of American cinema from that kind of era, um, and it's consistently. I mean, you know, consistently voted as one of the greatest films ever made. Magazines you know not not necessarily of this parish but other magazines often do these kind of like you know greatest films ever made issues every sort of five or six years and 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 yeah it always seems like the godfather is 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 sort of there or thereabouts so um i don't know i think it's kind of a film that you can't really escape in many ways i I do think it's also a film maybe a lot of people haven't seen in in a way Mm -hmm. and like maybe would be kind of um yeah reticent to kind of admit that but but it's but it is you know a film which i think many people have probably consumed by osmosis through all the kind of various references in pop culture and producer jake kind of mentioned the kind of seinfeld episode with with kramer um having the door closed on him and you know obviously there's there's so many um nods in like the simpsons and uh, you know even if you haven't seen the godfather i think you've you're probably very familiar with it it is absolutely one of those pu- the purest cases of um, a film that people have mainly watched via Simpsons riffs mm. because you can probably piece together the majority of The Godfather. Well, not maybe not, maybe not the majority, but a lot of key scenes from The Godfather through riffs on The Simpsons. But the great pleasure and joy of that is then you go and watch a film like this and you realise there's pro- two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I, <laughs> sort of, those um, scenes. I sort of went into this viewing... Like, I had the the good fortune of seeing it on the big screen earlier this week, you know, which is being kind of put back out in cinemas for this anniversary. And and it was really nice. I mean, I, I sort of went into that screening thinking like, oh, I'm going to actually m- pay more attention to the kind of less iconic moments, if, if you see what I mean. And, and you know, obviously that it, it's absolutely chock full of them, but it's 
two hours, 50 minutes or something. And so, you know, there, there are kind of long portions of this film. I think like I have the picture of the film in my head already, but it, you know, it's kind of piecing together the, the timeline. And, you know, I, I love like, for example, the, the whole sequence in Sicily um, where Al Pacino, he, he's kind of, you know, in hiding after carrying out a hit on a, on a rival um, kind of gang boss, basically. Um, there's a kind of debate recently about what films you could make today and what films you couldn't make today. And I think you certainly could make a film like The Godfather today, but I suspect you wouldn't get away with being able to be as indulgent as filming that entire sequence in Sicily, which is kind of cut in and out and probably totals about like half an hour of the runtime or something. Um, but it's an amazing sequence. And, you know, there's, there's, there's so many other iconic moments. I actually think the you know, it's got the, the 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 famous, arguably one of the most famous, like opening lines in all of cinema, right? Um, but I actually think that whole that whole kind of opening speech monologue—it's probably about a minute, minute and a half—is it's just amazing. It's like an absolute masterclass in exposition and kind of really setting the tone for the film and 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 just kind of giving the viewer just enough information to like understand the world that you're entering into. I mean this this guy i mean you see kind of obviously brando is kind of back to the camera in silhouette like really dominating the frame but you have this guy explaining this this pretty horrific story about his his daughter being attacked by a group of men him him having gone to the police and gone through the kind of official legal channels and 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 you know that kind of not actually getting anywhere and uh, and then you know he here he comes to the don as a kind of last recourse and i just think it's yeah, it's a really, it's a really beautifully written and, and performed opening, um, you know, opening, opening kind of monologue that tells you everything you need to know, basically about um, what, what you know where America was at this time, like post-war, uh, well, at least this kind of pocket of society. Uh, it speaks a lot. It kind of foreshadows a lot of the male violence, especially towards women, which is going to kind of happen throughout the film. Um, and also, I think it's a really it's a really surprising film in how kind of tender it is, and how mm. I mean, I kind of ended up counting how many times you see male characters like crying, which is something I don't think you associate a lot with this genre. And certainly, I think comparing it to someone like Martin Scorsese and his kind of gangster films, I think he, to be fair, is exploring that territory and that world in a slightly different way than, than someone like Coppola here, but. Yeah, it's just it was really striking to me how much emotion there is in the film and how and how kind of quite openly vulnerable a lot of the kind of male, very very kind of dominant um, male characters are in this film. Um, so I do think it's a film which you know even if you feel like you've seen it a hundred times or you're very familiar with it, I think it really does reward repeat viewings. And I suspect that is kind of why it's become, as I said, so, so, so monolithic and so ever present in the kind of popular consciousness. Absolutely. And you're, you're right. What struck me watching it this time, it's so easy when we watch films decades after they're released and decades after the legacy's grown and uh, become enshrined. You watch this and often you may go straight into its sequels, whereas watching this as a film in its own right, it is such a complete singular film. And that you mentioned the opening monologue is the film in miniature. The opening wedding scene, it, uh, opening 20, 30 minutes really sets up everything you need to know about this world, about these characters, about the arc we're going to go on for the next three hours. It is such an aesthetically, story-wise, story narratively complete three hours. 
and today would be tr- would be drawn out over a miniseries or however you want to do it. It would be structured oh, yeah, yeah. differently. And you're you're completely right about masculinity in this film, um, and the way that novelistically it uses these different characters to explore different kinds of men and their relationships with power, their relationships with people they have power over. Um, the relationships with family and their work and the links between them or divisions between them and so perfectly cast to have Al Pacino in this playing maybe a softer role than he would later in his career Um, James Kahn being like the ultimate macho alpha male who is so in that anger that he shows in that bravado he shows so vulnerable and emotional as well but then Marlon Brando at the heart of it who of course, has become enshrined as a poster on a wall or a, a poster that's on, you know, a, there'll be the outline of the Don in a, you know, a, a fish and chip shop called the Codfather or something. You know, it's been enshrined as an iconic image in its own right. But the performance is so tender. He's so, he's he's been through his battles and he's landed in a, quite a wise place. Um, it's there's so much detail and texture, as you say, Adam, to discover in this. Um, David, what's your relationship? with the godfather um as you say it's one of those ones that's maybe taken for granted maybe just accepted as a classic uh, but what's your take yeah it's a weird one actually like I, I was just sort of thinking back to the to when i first saw it <clears throat> which must have been in kind of secondary school and I, it, I think it was at a time when i was sort of just getting into films a bit more seriously and going to see kind of like you know art house internet you know foreign language cinema and um um, and I, I, I remember it was one of the first films that I think that when people at school, my school clocked the fact that I was kind of into movies, they, they would often ask, have you seen The Godfather? Cause, cause that, that was the kind of big, that, I think that was sort of commonly held as the kind of the big canonical classic that had that kind of gateway aspect to it that, you know, younger people could appreciate. And I, I remember watching it at like maybe 15, 16 and actually not loving it at that time. Like feeling it was, you know, because actually like one of the strange things about it, particularly if you kind of look at it in the context of this kind of new Hollywood that had emerged that, that almost gave birth to the, this kind of auteur driven filmmaking is that like, you know, you look at you know, Bonnie and Clyde and Midnight Cowboy and, you know, Robert Altman. And it's actually kind of, you know, it's, it's a kind of youth movement in a way. And, and even, even I think Apocalypse Now, which I, 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 I loved Apocalypse Now much more than I did The Godfather back then. And, um, and because it was a kind of, yeah, it was aimed at kind of younger people. It was right. The, the whole, the, the, the whole kind of driving force behind this thing was to kind of bring younger people to the cinema and this 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 definitely felt like it was kind of it's it is surprisingly kind of laconic, detailed, you know, relative like compared to you know, considering its runtime, it, it it's kind of like you know it does give to time to quite to a lot of sort of intimacies that that that, that actually make it into this kind of classic movie like and you you, you get to see a lot of small moments that have bigger kind of implications rather than it being this big kind of sweeping epic and definitely on the first go i was like oh this is this is this is too slow where are the jump cuts where are the you know <laughs> um you know that there, there are obviously a couple of like amazing kind of action set pieces in there um 
like the kind of you know the, the sort of assassination sequence but like for the most part it is and, and especially like the the Sicily I think the, when you're young the Sicily sequence is quite challenging because mm-hmm. you're like what the what the hell our, our guy is just like tottering around in another country get back get back into the in, into the fray you know like um just on the on the Sicily stuff actually it's very, very weirdly like I've been watching um Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown I don't know if you you guys are familiar with that but like I've just, I, I recently sort of I know I'm very late to the party I know but like I've recently sort of been watching it and just loving it and watched an episode on Sicily recently and um he he's basically going on about like Sicily has become a kind of like sort of Disney world for, for the Godfather and it is it, there is an entire like tourist industry that is kind of based on this kind of idea of like we can give you the Godfather experience we can kind of take you up the hill to the church where they got married and we can take you to the house uh, where they lived and and you know it, it, it's a proper kind of, and, and they have this kind of torrent of people who basically want to like, like walk in Michael Corleone's footsteps um and it is, and it is, yeah. I think, I think one of the things that's really fascinating and enduring about this film is this kind of iconography and like, I think, I, I think moralistically too, it's really, it's a really interesting film. Like compared to something like Scarface, where you also have Al Pacino, who is a much less um, ambiguous character in his in his motives. I mean, it's it's much more a kind of clear cut case of the kind of. The dreamer who 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 sort of takes a bite of the, of the cherry and, and and kind of slides down to to the gates of hell. This one is def like this, this the, the the interesting thing about this one is like it's a crime story. It's a crime family, and like you know you you kind of understand the implications of the mafia. Uh, don't necessarily see what it is they do and how they're how they you know in the sort of misery they wreak on on other people it's just it's like the kind of you're just seeing the kind of it's a kind of boardroom view of that of that world and and actually it, 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 by choosing to do that allows you to kind of you know look at sort of michael and Vito as kind of quite sympathetic characters in a way and like that the, they they do have these kind of aspirations that aren't entirely malevolent and they, you know, they, 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 there is a kind of like, okay, we we are a kind of dark, shadowy force, but how can we actually, you know, like the new Hollywood? It's like, how can we modernize? How can we kind of, how can we fit in with, with 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 what's happening in in America to and, and the world and Europe to actually make to to sustain us further? And I think it is like it's it is it, it at its root, it's like a political film. I mean, it's about like diplomacy and. You know, tr- tr- you know the, the the kind of difficulty of changing minds and taking people out of their kind of, the, the, you know, pe- asking people to question their traditions, which is like turns out to be like the toughest thing in the world. But then, what's so striking rewatching it? You do think about those moments, and then you think about um, the moments that's in a sort of IMDb film fan classic scenes moments. The, the 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 hit as Adam mentioned, where uh, Al Pacino takes out Sterling Hayden and the uh, the the heroin drug dealer guy, a, a moment of violence. There's the crux of the film, but actually, so many of the f- moments that hit the hardest are these quiet moments that really just use the canvas of this mafia family as a quite epic broad canvas just to explore the passing of generations and the relationships between 
family members and the way the, 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 the what legacies are brought between them and it's you you tend to forget sometimes that this as as adam alluded to the film ends with the closing of a door it's a very sharp ending and it's dan keaton being kept outside of the family business after being told um what is being presented by michael corleone as a, a truth but is actually a lie that there is no violence at the heart of the family um, but then you just know that is a, a real like flaw coming out from underneath you sort of drop ending. Similarly, Vito Corleone, this great powerful man, has his 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 death scene where he's playing with his grandson in the orchard. Um, tender moments that really could just exist as any family portrait. I think that's what struck me this time. Particularly now we see. Francis Ford Coppola as being the don of his own family empire of hotels and luxury resorts and vineyards. Um, it is does feel so personal in terms of the immigrant experience and a look at family and how those dynamics work. Well, I was, was going to say, I was listening to an, another a podcast recently. Um, yeah, other podcasts are available. but um, And they were kind of talking about The Godfather and, and sort of why or how it popularized the, the the gangster or the mafia genre and and how it's you know it's this kind of north star for this whole movement of american cinema right and even now i mean like you've had things like the sopranos and filmmakers are still obsessed and i think the general population of film you know movie going population are still quite hung up and obsessed with this this ideal of of you know these kind of these these mafia syndicate families and everything and and yeah i don't know i think it's interesting that to all intents and purposes, it could really be about any immigrant experience. And I think what the thing that Coppola is most interested in is the the family and obviously the interpersonal relationships, the politics within that. He's not as interested in like the, the machinations of, of a mafia crime family. I mean, you, like you say, you don't really ever see how their business is conducted in terms of, you know, the, the commerce of it, like the financial flow of it. It's more like, oh, the little shady deals and... All, all the rest of it that go on but it's it's much more interested in in that kind of family dynamic and that's I think that is mainly why it has endured and I think you know he could have made it about a different kind of immigrant experience I mean obviously Italian-American Sicilian is is one of many right that makes up the kind of very rich tapestry of American life at this time because it's kind of obviously it's like made in the 70s but it's it's kind of set in the in the sort of early to kind of um mid part of the 20th century and um and yeah it's 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 interesting i wonder if there is a kind of alternate reality where he made it about i don't know irish american immigrants or something or german american and maybe that could have kick-started a, a, an entirely different genre um but but yeah i think that's ultimately not not the reason the film has kind of endured and it's and it's odd that that, that you know so many crime mafia movies have kind of followed in its wake and and, pr- and pr- mostly not really recaptured that magic that kind of stardust that Coppola sprinkles all over this film because I think fundamentally what he's what he's most interested in is this kind of universal thing about family and and that's yeah for me anyway that's the thing that endures more than more than everything else Absolutely. And if we ever come to talk about Godfather Part 2, it's really fascinating how they flower out into that film while keeping so many of these themes we've just discussed. But let's do something a little different for this podcast. We don't usually, for a film club, give scores, but uh, (laughs) we can make an exception for The Godfather. 
Adam, what scores would you give this? As it is in cinemas. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I, I, I had, a, I was, I would say maybe like a four in anticipation because, you know, purely because it's a film I, I I'd kind of seen a few times and and felt like I knew very well, um, and I would, I would go five for enjoyment just because it, yeah, especially seeing it on the big screen again, it was, it was amazing how kind of fresh and rewarding it felt and and surprising in some ways as well and and it's great to be reminded of yeah of that I think and how and how rare that is to kind of revisit something you're so familiar with and be surprised by it um I guess I guess you kind of have to go five in retrospect it's kind of hard not not to do that although I would I would caveat that by saying I do think part two is like the be- the better film um if it's even kind of possible to improve on this one, but yeah, I, 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 I think, yeah, hard, not, hard not to give it kind of top marks. Oh, that's an argument for another day. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, David, what scores would you give? The Godfather? Well, do, would you mind if I kind of just gave it anticipation just because I, I obviously, I, I wasn't able to go and rewatch mm-hmm. it. And um, for the, for the purposes of this, obviously I know it very well, but I, I feel that like, it would to to give it scores on it on not a a, a a a sort of box fresh rewatch would be sullying the score system. But I can give it an anticipation score, and then go from there. So I'll, I'll give it a I'll give it a four, just because you know it's like it's 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 a it's a fairly known quantity, and you know I you know an enjo- an enjoyable uh, enjoyable film when when I can sort of you know find the time to slot it in. Um, I guess yeah. As as our producer is just piped up now, I could do it in retrospect from the last time I saw it because I have you know have got that, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. That's again, that's 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 not the rules. Um, but so so yeah, um, enjoyment and retrospect forthcoming. <laughs> but a four, you're giving the yeah Godfather yeah a four. yeah. I mean, I, it's it, do you know what it's it. The reason I'll give very quickly is because like. I guess it's 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 a, I think it's it's a great film and an enjoyable film. I would say it's not like it's 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 fairly low down the list of if I had to sort of reach for a classic film for me personally my tastes I do prefer things a little less in that kind of classical operatic mm-hmm. laconic you know very very sort of finely stitched mode I, I I would tend to go for something more like your kind of, you know, like Goddard's or your or your or your Tarkovskys or your uh, Antonioni's kind of thing. Like I, I I I I that kind of cinema appeals a bit too much to me. If and and even even if if we're talking like New Hollywood, probably like and and a Robert Altman is going to basically no, turn me on yeah. a bit more. I just like that kind of slightly messy you know almost sort of quasi experimental edge which you don't really get in this film i agree and, and I, I i'm very happy to give this fives all through um again not necessarily a film that i would put as a cornerstone of my film taste or anything but it's a film that i would always relish watching and it is actually one of those beautiful rare things um, I'm sure maybe the two of you might have um, experiences like this. I we had I had to rewatch it for this podcast. I was personally very excited to rewatch it, but when I mentioned it to my partner that we were sitting down to watch a three-hour-long film, she groaned. 
but then within 20 minutes she was hooked and watched the rest of it and then we watched part two the night after and as much as i do love as you say davy um your altmans and your goddards and your tarkovskis they aren't gonna keep the partner on the sofa necessarily uh, unless unless they're already pre-sold and that's something that the godfather and new hollywood i suppose at large did really well which was marry mainstream uh, accessible filmmaking with um artistic um aspirations and there's so much we could talk about here one thing before we sign off i'd like to hear your mvp for this film because i think my mvp is richard castellano as clemenza my favorite moment in the entirety of the godfather is when they pause the whole film just to say here's how you're going to make some pasta for 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 a group of 30 people you get your meatballs (laughs) you fry some garlic and clemenza is so good in that moment but who's your mvp adam i'm so glad you mentioned this because i think you you talk about the performances and, and obviously go straight to like pacino and brando but like outside the kind of family as it were some of the supporting roles I mean you mentioned a kind of aging Sterling Hayden as McCluskey who's mm-hmm. who's really good but like Abe Vigoda I think is 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 really good I, lo- I love his very pitiful kind of pleading at the end to um to, to 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 Tom being like can you like do us a solid this time and like get me off the hook and he's like sorry mate I can't do it that's just such a heartbreaking moment I think I think my favourite little supporting character, just because I love to imagine the sort of world that's happening with him in it outside of the film, as it were, is um, I forget the name of the actor, but the guy who plays Johnny Fontaine is yeah. is just so well cast. Al I mean, Martino. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's that he's that proper like Rat Pack kind of Dean Martin, just kind of saunters in at the start of the wedding, and I think you only see him like a couple more times throughout the film. And obviously, it's 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 him who sets up the kind of um, you know iconic horse's head moment ultimately. But yeah, he's he's very well cast, I think. And David, I know that you've not watched this as recently as Adam and I have, but is there anyone that jumps out at you? I mean, I always I I always love to watch the great the late great John Cazale um, as the sort of snivelling Fredo. I mean, he's it's a kind of you know again he's he he he. he he, he he has made that role into into a kind of icon, and that that name it's in itself has become a kind of byword for the, for 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 a kind of you know tragic two facedness. And uh, you know he he just I think he just plays it really well. And I I, I kind of yeah his kind of his down. I I feel that he you know he he is he he in that role he created something of an archetype. That, that has been seen in many, many other kind of gangster epics of the kind of, you know, the 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 the, the, the sort of the Icarus character in uh, in the gangster films who who you know has to be kind of muzzled one way or the or the other. But like, yeah, he's he, he's um, he you know in his kind of what was it like the the Godfather, the Deer Hunter, the Conversation, and Doctor and Do- yeah. You know, pretty solid, uh, solid run there. Yeah, it's something like five films in seven years that are, just, that are now all time and all Oscar. Yeah, all all Oscar nominated. He was the he was the uh, the rabbit's paw of uh, of Hollywood in the seventies. Can I, can I give a very quick shout out too to Diane Keaton, who I think is I think is one of her sort of early uh, very early roles. But yeah, she she's like. I think when when she's out of the film, it kind of lo- loses something of that like 
yeah of that kind of sweetness and that and that light and and you know it it does become a bit kind of bogged down in this very grim heavy kind of masculinity and i think she she's always kind of on the periphery of it but i think i think it's a really great performance and 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 you know ultimately she gets the kind of last like she's you know her face is the last face you see in the film and i think that that kind of yeah shot reverse shot and and that expression of hers is like is yeah is 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 pretty amazing we could talk about the godfather for decades maybe five decades <laughs> fittingly for its 50th anniversary but that's pr- probably all the time we have for this chat this week listeners we'd love to hear what you make of the godfather pluses and minuses positives and negatives we're all open to all comers let us know at the usual channels at lw lies on twitter or truth and movies at tcolondon.com there are films in cinemas this week new releases in fact we have little time for both of those right now up first we have le Mif. a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, so La Mif, a group of teenage girls have been placed in a residential care home with social workers. This forced family experience creates unexpected tensions and intimacies until an unexpected incident triggers a chain of overreactions. David, tell us about Le Mif. Was th- So this is another one of those films that was a festival, was it Berlin last year? And that is finally coming out now. Yeah, it was in the... Um, so Berlin have this special programme called the Generation Programme, which is aimed at a kind of young, like sort of... A re- like I think it's films that are sort of for sort of younger teenagers, like 14, 15. Um, and, you know, not necessarily kind of um, content not necessarily aimed at them uh in, in, in tonally but like you know the the stories are about those kind of ex- those people and those experiences um and yeah this is very like um you know you'd probably describe it as like a docudrama it's very kind of loose depiction of life in, and tensions in this uh swiss care home for 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 for, for women for young women and girls um, yeah, it, it, the the way it's structured is 
a little strange in that instead of it being a kind of like a true ensemble where you're kind of going through a linear timeline and seeing all things happening to, to different people at the same time the director Fred Bailiff um, has ch- and who also wrote the film has has basically opted for this kind of compendium uh, almost portmanteau style where you have a chapter that focuses on individual characters and that often means that like in terms of its timeline it kind of you're kind of going back to a certain point and seeing the story again from the same the same point but from a different perspective so you're kind of getting that same timeline over and over again and it's a bit tricksy it's one of those things where you know you'll you'll be watching a scene and the first time and then it'll end at a certain point and and then you you get to see it again from a different perspective and it'll play on a little bit further and you'll see a very sort of sudden jarring twist that completely sort of changes the the emotional dynamic or what you think how you kind of thought that 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 um, interaction or alterca- altercation ended um which i which sometimes i think is like for for a film that is so dedicated to this kind of like messy realism of life in a in a care home it just it kind of undermines it a bit for me like have, have force it's almost like you know sort of like the sort of thing you'd expect Christopher Nolan to be doing you know rather than it, you know it's certainly ambitious I don't necessarily think it kind of completely like gels with with the story it's telling um and the but by doing this kind of like compartmentalized structure it one of the things it also does is sort of like it means that it's sort of it's focusing on a different like issue so like you have the character and each character is associated with a, a kind of individual like issue that they have to deal with and that the care the care home workers have to deal with so like for, you know things start off where you have a, a, a kind of older 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 woman who is having sex with a 14 year old and the kind of you know innocently so i guess but obviously it's illegal and um a child protection issue and you you then sort of follow on her kind of te- reaction to it and then you look at the how the care home workers react to it and then you the you, you, there's lots of scenes of um board meetings where these issues are kind of coming up in kind of you know in, in detail and you get a lot of kind of you know there's a lot of focus on this idea of like the the, the, the care the care home workers are at the front at the front line doing stuff and interacting with these 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 people in a way that the the sort of board members and the, the the management aren't seeing and aren't really comprehending that you know there there the, one of the things the film comes back to constantly is this chasm between the front line and the generals you know like you, you know, they don't they don't kind of understand the, the nuance and difficulty of actually creating l- rules that actually could could easily apply to what the messiness of these kids lives and you kind of like, then the film kind of goes through with different characters each cha- each chapter is maybe like 10 15 minutes and you know you 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 kind of the film slightly dutifully discovers the kind of gamut of issues that would come up in the care home like a mother who's sort of stalking her child wanting to get get her back and one woman who one woman who's sort of run away from her parents and 
um, one, another one looking for asylum in Switzerland. And yeah, it's, it's lots of like, you know, dealing with a, re- a range of different issues that crop up in this in this care home. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of, as a kind of nice twist at the end, it actually kind of moves away from the the, um, the, 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 the the people in care and actually focuses on one of the main workers the, the, who, has, who has kind of basically made a mistake and, um, you know, you, you, you sort of see the ramifications of that. And it's really interesting to like, I mean, it's, it's quite sort of damning in the end about the system and its kind of dysfunctionality. Um, yeah, it's a film that I think it like, is really well made, really well performed, uh, but yeah, may, maybe sort of like too tricksy for its own good sometimes. Right. And Adam, what do you make of, of that? I mean, that's, that's, that's like structurally quite ambitious, but also what's the vibe of this film? I suppose the, the, the thing that intrigues me about this is that it's from Switzerland. And if this film was French, I feel like we'd, we're, we've got a sense of what a French sort of teenage care home film might be like. It was an American indie as well. Is there a different vibe to this as well? I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't kind of have any major issues with the structure, although I don't. I don't think it sort of necessarily, um, you know, d- demands that that slightly tricksy structure in terms of the story that they're trying to tell here. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm. I'm not sure. I know enough about you know the, the kind of Swiss um, social care system to to comment on that. I think the vibe it's going for, in, it's an interesting one. I, on paper it's it's sort of like positioning itself i suppose in the same realm as something like um girlhood by selinsky armor the film I, w- I really kind of wanted it to be and that i would i would sort of maybe recommend more in its place would would be a film by um um andre tashin from a few years ago called being 17 which is like quite quite different in in the story it's telling but i think and and actually instantly was written by um Selinsky armor I think it just has has a has a kind of much better um, understanding of the the you know the the, the kind of real characters that the, that are at its centre, like the, the the actual young characters. And I think the thing that maybe this film doesn't achieve quite as well is like, yeah, I don't know. I felt it was more invested in the in the kind of relationships between the the workers and the kind of all these board meetings. And as David was saying, like it, it's it feels much more invested and interested in that as opposed to you know trying to 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 offer more of a kind of um intimate perspective from 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 the young you know essentially the people whose lives are being most directly affected by all of these decisions um it didn't feel as as maybe well observed as 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 i say girlhood or, or to give a kind of british um equivalent sarah gavron's rocks from a few years ago um and and yeah i was left a little bit disappointed in fact the, the the film the french film which is kind of most reminded me of and not in not in a kind of good way was um a film a few from a few years ago called police by my one in that it's like very you know it, it's kind of as as david says it's kind of putting in all these like scenarios to to sort of build up this picture of oh, how awful this system is and how awful it must be to to sort of go through this system and to also work within it um but as I say, it kind of is, is yeah, it feels much more invested in, 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 in the kind of, um, I guess, the politics than, and the diplomacy and all the kind of, um, yeah, 
all, all, all of the kind of decisions that get made above the heads of the people who whose lives are most directly affected by it and and i kind of felt like that was missing a bit of a trick to be honest mm. well let's put some scores on this david i'll come to you first for la nif um yeah i, I think i'm gonna probably give it a sort of threes across the board um i i i, I thought it was kind of yeah in that sort of french realist mode really good strong, strong performances from the, the teenagers uh, you know that I don't yeah I don't necessarily think it has that kind of push towards um towards like I, I don't think maybe the ideas are as elegantly stated if someone like a Skiyama had been involved in fact talking of what one one good other really good comparison which I think it sort of pales against is the great my life as a courgette uh, mm. um which which is which is you know Skiyama's actual writ, f- f- uh, film about a orphanage, and it is it is very similar. But I think that you know I wouldn't say pales in comparison, but 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 yeah, um, I think that, that that my life as a courgette is is the product of of a more kind of cinematically attuned mind. And and actually, when as I said, the Swiss aspect of this was what intrigued me because um, I don't think I've seen many films by Swiss filmmakers. One of the few is My Life as a Courgette because Claude Barras, who's the or Barras who directed that, is Swiss. Um, so not that outlandish a suggestion, David. <laughs> I'd, I'd certainly recommend that film. Adam, what scores would you give Linif? Um I would probably go three, three, two. I think two in retrospect, just because it, it yeah, it didn't be. I think beyond the the performances, which are really good across the board, and I think especially with the young. Um, the young actors, which are, who I assume were kind of street cast or kind of you know non-professional actors before this, um, they, they they are very good. I think beyond that, though, I, I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to recommend it or revisit it myself. So yeah. Well, that's Le Mif, listeners. Let us know what you make of it if you see it this weekend. We also have one other new release to discuss this week. That is The Duke. bit of synopsis for The Duke. In 1961, Kempton Bunton, a 60-year-old taxi driver, stole Goya's portrait of the Duke of Wellington from the National Gallery in London. He sent ransom notes saying that he would return the painting on condition that the government invested more in care for the elderly. What happened next became the stuff of legend. So Adam, eventually we'll get through all the films that were delayed because of the pandemic, because this was one that I think was actually dated and then pushed back. And maybe there was rumours that it's because we have Helen Mirren and Jim Broadbent here, BAFTA plays, maybe we're a part of it, but it's finally coming out now. What should we expect with this film? Yeah, finally coming out. I mean, I believe it was it was filmed in in kind of late 2019, early 2020, um, obviously delayed because of the pandemic and, and actually it's a film which I'd kind of personally put off watching I'd, I'd been invited to like quite a few screenings over the last like year it feels like um, and, I, and and you know what I'm really glad that I finally was able to go to one and, and, and see it because it's yeah it's quite a charming film I must say um, oh. Jim Broadbent do, doing probably his, I think his best work in years I mean he these days he kind of tends to pop up in maybe like smaller smaller roles where he's playing quite quite kind of exaggerated characters and this I mean you know he is he's kind of a bit of a larger than life character um but he but yeah he he really sort of carries the film and and Helen Mirren is 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 great as well um 
it's just a really i think i think david you described it in your review as like ealing-esque in, uh, at points and i think sometimes we, we we look at these these films which may be um yeah very kind of cozy sunday tea time like british drama obviously going for that like gray pound um but it's but it is a, it is a sort of uplifting and quite kind of life affirming film and it's very spry and very funny um i think i think the actual story itself you know it, it, it's this, it's this great kind of like heist caper um but but actually what it's dealing with i mean you know the 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 aspect of the narrative which is sort of touched on in, in in that sort of plot synopsis is that you know he st- he steals this this painting um which you know you, you think would be would 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 basically mean um a, you know a lengthy kind of prison term for him and he would be kind of vilified for it but it's it's kind of quite the opposite and he has these these very um yeah, the, the, his, his sort of motives are, are are much more kind of altruistic, and he's he's essentially like railing against the system, um, and and kind of campaigning for a TV license to be waived for like um, senior citizens like himself. And there's this very funny, you know, re- kind of joke throughout the film, like recurring joke, where he's they've got this kind of big old TV set which takes up like half the half the living room, and he's kind of like taken out. I, I don't know how this kind of works, but he's yeah, he's like taken out part of it which which would would allow them to receive like BBC one and I guess mm-hmm. I guess two would have been around at that time. But yeah, basically they can't they can't kind of tune into the BBC and and uh yeah, that, that I thought that was like quite a funny joke. But yeah, it's interesting. I mean that, that whole, you know, the T V license thing that's obviously sort of back in the news at the moment and, and, and it feels quite kind of oddly pertinent for that. Um but yeah, it's just it's just a very it's a very charming film. I think the the performances, as I say, really carry it. But it's just one of those films that, I mean, Roger Michel, the late late now late Roger Michel, is 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 just a really. I think if you look at his his filmography, I mean, I don't think there's there's a kind of like dull note in there at all, really. I mean, quite quite actually quite var- more varied than you, than you maybe would would think or remember. But um, I think you, you just kind of really get the sense watching this film that. He, he he sort of really understands the the characters and the and and you know he can he kind of crafts it in such a way that it's just it's just very pleasurable to watch and very you know it's very kind of uh, it sounds like damning it with faint praise but it's very kind of like very kind of easy to follow if you see what i mean it's 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 a really kind of like I don't know it's like taking a it's like taking a kind of like leisurely cruise down a river or something it's like you you always feel like you 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 you're sort of safe in the knowledge that you're going to stay afloat and 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 just kind of like you're not really bothered about where where you're going but you're just kind of like cruising along and yeah I had I had a lot of fun with it a lot more fun than I expected well it's 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 barely an hour and a half isn't it it's just just over so not every film needs to be 3 hours long like the the godfather or the batman um david were you were you charmed by the duke yeah, I was charmed. I was definitely charmed. I thought it was a lo- it was a lovely film, and de- yeah, definitely kind of exceeded my my perhaps modest expectations. Um, it's you know the whole. I think the whole thing with the TV license is slightly unfortunate because you know the whole anti BBC movement and anti TV license is aligned with the right wing, and you you hope that this film, even though I think it takes some steps to sort of like. Um, you know, move it away from that world a little bit. 
it, you know, you it could be kind of taken as a kind of cause celebre for their for that. You know, this is this is the guy who railed against the system to to to, to you know get uh, get rid of like state, you know, to, to to sort of soften the soften the hand of the state, um, and and then you know ends up giving this kind of you know he's he's I think he's sort of like I think the the interesting thing about it is that 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 Broadbent's character is such a kind of presented as this utterly charming eccentric who you know is is lives by this this very kind of crooked logic like almost sort of quaint logic that you 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 almost kind of roll your eyes at you know the the whole thing of him taking out the the transmitters is kind of like you know beside the point it's you know the whole the whole thing about tv licenses is like it's a collective thing it's you know he, I think you know he 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 he's almost a bit like libertarian, like proto-libertarian in a way. Um, so so yeah, it's, I think I, I, I at the same time the tone of the film definitely um, wards you off making these kind of deep political statements about him, and you know it's very much done as as I say, like quite sort of frothy Ealing Ealing s farce. Um, with lots of kind of, you know, running around a house, hiding things in wardrobes, making the, you know, making sure Helen Mirren doesn't find out the, about the caper. Um, yeah, I mean, M- Mirren and Broadbent, as Adam said, they're in a lot of stuff. I don't, you know, you, you kind of, you, you wouldn't necessarily, I don't think, I don't think we're at a point where we're kind of going to see films for as great as they are, you know that they, 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 you know, it's, it's been a long time since they've like headlined a film, and actually, I think one of the one of the things that's that's great about this, and and in fact, a colleague Tim Roby wrote on Twitter the other day about how great Helen Mirren's performance is, possibly even better than her performance in The Queen, mm-hmm. which I think you know is definitely like a, a conversation worth having. But I actually think there is like one of the things that makes this work so well is like it's it's very much a kind of dual performance it's this two-hander that i think only works with them in sort of synchronicity with one another like the 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 thing the thing that makes the film so charming is that the actual dynamics of their relationship rather than the kind of the individual terms themselves it's it you know i think it's it's very sweet in this idea of like how performance actually can be a collaboration and be people kind of riffing off each other rather than just, you know, doing their own lines and, te- you know, I mean, it, it kind of does, you know, if, if I, I almost, I'm always a bit like with award ceremonies like the Oscars, which kind of compartmentalize films down into these like separate elements. You watch a film like The Duke, I mean, which, which I don't think is like a great masterpiece or anything, I think it's a really good example of a film where you could, I don't think I'd, I would take any individual aspect out of it, like the writing, a supporting turn, performance, direction, script, anything. But as a, as a full package of all those elements, it works like gangbusters. You know, it's like a, it, it, it's very much a kind of film is like all these things together rather than these individual parts that are, mm. some are good and some are bad. So yeah, that's that's an endorsement from me, I think. Well, before we move on to scores, I'd like to have a bit of space for Roger Michelle because one of the, the most tragic thing about this film being delayed so long is that he died um, 
in autumn last year so was isn't around for the premiere of this film and a film that is going down well in, in reviews um he's always been for me a tricky filmmaker to get a handle on because he flip-flopped both sides of the atlantic would make hollywood films with hollywood stars changing lanes with ben affleck or i guess his biggest film most popular film perhaps is notting hill but then he had such a, a very fruitful collaboration with the author hanif qureshi made the buddha of suburbia tv series in the early 90s made the mother and venus and most recently the weekend the weekend um and but then also enduring love lots of films there as you said adam not necessarily any stinkers in the bunch but what which ones would you point to as uh, as ones to go and watch maybe well yeah he had he had this interesting career you know initially as a kind of theater director and i think that's how he came to the attention of richard curtis and they obviously did i mean notting hill out of the gate is is not a bad one to start with is it and and actually you know I don't know maybe it's not very cool to say Notting Hill is is, is good but you know I, I quite like it um changing lanes I mean that's a bit that, that's maybe a bit more of an outlier I think he kind of like had flirted with Hollywood a little bit um but then kind of went back to making films pretty much exclusively in the UK um I, I would say you know if you've not seen any of his um any of his kind of earlier films like Venus is is really good um, it's Peter O'Toole uh, in it, I think may, might have been his last ever performance certainly one of the last one of them yeah um, and, he, and, he's, and he's, a young Jodie Whittaker um, he is a very good performance director isn't he like oh yeah the, the, the film may not be one, one of these sort of controversial core celebra sort of films he's not that sort of filmmaker but he certainly makes good stages for his actors yeah um, and then I think more more recently yeah um, the weekend, which is another broadbent vehicle, um, again a, a very sort of charming. And I think it, you know if you if if um, you, you sort of want a, uh, an example of his versatility, I guess, and range as director, something like My Cousin Rachel, which was more more recent um, with uh, with Rachel Vice, the, the Daphne de Maurier adaptation. I think that's yeah, just a re- I mean that's like if you wanted to kind of show that as just a really great example of like you know direct what it means to direct a film basically like everything that kind of falls under that mantle it's like it's it's pretty flawless i mean i I wouldn't say it's like again like it's not maybe like a masterpiece but just a really competent and and well-crafted film and in in that vein a film that's perhaps not a masterpiece but one that i fondly remember I'd, i'd recommend morning glory if only for the performances, that's one of, a rare performance of Harrison Ford being used outside of a franchise, outside of a, of a sequel to a f- franchise he was in in the 80s. Um, but it's a workplace comedy sort of like um, reading like broadcast, broadcast news, news or something, yeah. but, it, but as a more straight rom-com. And of course, Rachel McAdams is the lead in that and she's always w- worth watching. And to bring things around to The Godfather, it's also a good role for Diane Keaton which doesn't really happen too much nowadays. I'd, I'd recommend that one. But David, do you have a... We did it. R- we we brought it back film. round to The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, pro- I, I mean, I, I, I remember thinking Venus was very charming. But, but I, I haven't seen it for a long time. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was very good. That, that sort of came out just as so I was sort of starting to get into film journalism. And I remember, you know, it being one of the first press screenings I ever went to. Um, but yeah, more recently, I'd probably say, yeah, uh, just re-emphasizing what you guys, guys were saying, my cousin Rachel, I think 
very good example of his kind of work. You know, I think he was definitely a kind of actor's director, and you know, that's I think Rachel Weisz had 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 made you know part of her kind of renaissance. That that that, that includes that film, I think, and uh, you know, I think she's 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 for for a long time she was an actor who I wasn't that keen on, but actually recently I think she's like one of the best best out there now one of the best in the game but yeah I've, I've pivoted to Rachel Weisz now but yeah <laughs> I, I mean um, I, I, I think it's hard to like have a career where you kind of you do kind of keep your head down he wasn't a kind of like you know showy director auteur who was like putting you know his his name was never really front and centre of the films he was you know and I, I think it's it's always admirable that you do have these kind of, you know, you call them like an artisan, you know, someone who is like a, a builder of cinema, you know, who knows who knows how to, who knows about the building blocks and it will do a good job for you. And that sounds again damning, damning him with faint praise, but like the reality is there are so few people who could do what Roger Michel do. Like, you, you, you know, you he is the kind of you give him a, a film and then you just you walk away and you don't worry, you know, like. And you know that's that's just not really there are just not many people like that out there anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, let's put some scores on the Duke. Adam, I'll come to you first. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of unfairly not written this one off, but it it kind of slid quite quite down low down my list. Um, so I would say I'd, I'd say a kind of generous three in anticipation. Um, but then f- four at the time, and then may- maybe just nudged down to a three in retrospect. I think it's, yeah, it's one that I would I would happily kind of watch in a few years if it if it came on sort of ITV one afternoon. But um, yeah, I, I think I think three is probably about right. David, yeah, same. I mean, it's it. I think it's a really fun film. It might, to be honest, it, it's it it might creep up to a four in enjoyment just because it is like really a you know whole. Really, really fun romp for for for, for ninety minutes. Um, so yeah, it's a kind of three point seven five <laughs> for enjoyment. Um, I, yeah, I I don't think it's ever kind of like doing it. Like I think the thing that maybe stops it from being a four is that it's so it's so classical. It's so you know. I mean, going back to the Godfather again, it's just like classical craftsmanship. Um, this instead of drama, this is comedy. You know, it's it's it maybe doesn't do anything that sort of like really lodges in the mind, but um, definitely a kind of fun fun while you're looking at it. Maybe. Absolutely. So, listeners, that was the Duke in cinemas this weekend. If you watch that or any of the films we've discussed this week, we'd love to hear what you make of them. Tweet at us at LWLies on Twitter or send us an email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Next week. Robert Pattinson is donning the cowl in The Batman. We also have Clio Barnard's Ali and Ava. And in Film Club, we asked you to pick which Batman film we should pull out of the Batcave and reassess. And you picked Tim Burton's Batman Returns. Adam, David, thank you for joining me this week. It's been such a treat. And listeners, thank you for listening. As always, we'll see you next time. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. 
It's hosted by me, the leader, produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShield, and edited by Steph Watts and James Payne. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.